My name is Lucy Murphy and this is By the Border, a podcast inspired by the people that I've met in the last year. I spent the last 10 months traveling around parts of Southeast Asia, which means that I've heard a million different backpackers travel routes. We're all more or less doing some variation of the same route, give or take a few countries. In all my time there though, there's one country that was not mentioned. No backpacker is even attempting to touch it. You might know it by its name, Myanmar, or its former name, Burma. Regardless of what you call it, it's the country that currently has the longest ongoing civil war in the world. Myanmar is not safe to visit. The Irish embassy implores its citizens, do not visit Myanmar. So I didn't. But I kind of went as close as you can without crossing into the part of Southeast Asia under the control of a military junta. Let me explain. The people of Myanmar, and I talked to many people inside of Myanmar, frankly believe that they have been forgotten. Myanmar's army rulers have ordered all government staff and those with military experience to prepare to serve. A Myanmar military jet circles a primary school. Since the military coup, people have been looking uneasily to the situation over there. The the military is not in effective control of the country. In fact, the military has never controlled less of Myanmar than it does today. I visited the district of Mae Sot in Tak province in Thailand. This is the part of the country right at the border with Myanmar. It's home to the friendship bridges that allow the trade to pass between the two countries. It's also where people cross the border. Sometimes these border crossings are legal. Other times, they're not. I wanted to see what these border crossing areas were like. So I started off by visiting the Friendship Bridge. Okay. It's a pretty unassuming bridge, isn't it? I know. The bridge is just a long slab of concrete. On the Thai sides, there's a few armed guards looking kind of bored. There's a load of mangy dogs, and you can't see into Myanmar. Look at the alcohol being sold. (laughs) There were people selling cheap cigarettes and cheap alcohol into Thailand through the barbed wire, but the guards didn't seem to mind. We drove further up. People had told us that they cross unofficially further up the border, and I wanted to go check these out. The boat is The current is really strong, but the river is very narrow. So, by the looks of it, you could cross in a few minutes using the boat. You're so close here that you can actually see into the buildings of Myanmar. So close, yet so far. By all accounts, crossing the border does seem possible, if you know the right spot. I spoke to a girl whose parents crossed the border to move to a refugee camp before she was born. She's from an ethnic group called the Karen people. Most people that I met here were Karen, which made sense because they make up 84% of the tens of thousands of refugees from Myanmar in Thailand. Can you tell me how you have ended up in Thailand? How has your family ended up in Thailand? Yeah, for me, uh, I was born in Thailand, uh, but my family, they have to move to Thailand because of the uh, political crisis and also um, in 2008, uh, the tsunami became in Myanmar, and then uh, like it's destroyed all of the 
local places mm -hmm. and then they had to move to Thailand and then at the time like my parents were as an illegal worker. Mm -hmm. They were in the industry. They stayed there and then if they go outside also like police time police arrest them. Mm -hmm. So they have to live as an illegal. As refugees you're not meant to leave the refugee camp area. In the eyes of the Thai government, even if you have refugee status, you're still technically an illegal immigrant. So if you're outside of the camp area and caught by police, you could be sent back to Myanmar. In other words, you could be sent back to an active civil war zone. And have you ever been to Myanmar? Mm, yeah, we have been, but we cannot say that we are refugee because if they know, uh, probably they will kill us directly. Okay. Because we ran away from the bomber, to escape from the war. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who would kill you? Myanmar military. So why are so many people fleeing Myanmar? I spoke to a lady who left the country 25 years ago about the reasons for the mass migration from the country. She still has family in the area who she visits from time to time. So I, I'm originally from uh, Rangu. They call Yango. It's the capital city before. And then I lived there until I'm 18, and uh, I left the country when I'm around 19. What made you want to leave Myanmar, Myanmar or like why did you have to leave? Uh, because it's, honestly, it's money. Because uh, in Burma, is without money, you won't be able to do anything. Like My mom is a secondary school teacher, my father working for the government. But they have not, we don't have enough sellers, enough money. And like my mom worked for the uh, secondary school, she worked for 21 years. And then the same, she left the uh, job and then she went to Malaysia to work as a housemaid. Well, was she, was she earning more money as a housemaid in Malaysia than a teacher in Burma? Yeah. <laughs> and are you guys Karen? Is that right? Yes. So in Burma, we have eight different ethnic, and then from that eight different ethnic, we have small different tribes, and we have 135 small tribes, and then 135 different languages. The diversity makes for a culturally rich country, but it has made forming a government fairly difficult. To put it lightly, not all ethnic groups get along. You might have heard of the Rohingya genocide an ongoing genocide of the Muslim Rohingya people at the hands of the Burmese military. A lot of Karang groups are also considered enemies of the military. After World War II, when the country got independence, the Brits handed over the power to the ethnic majority, the Burmese. They were meant to share this power with the minorities, but this didn't go as agreed. Instead, they went down the route of Burmanization, or trying to completely suppress the cultural identity of ethnic minorities. I'm sure you can guess how well that's gone down. Korean people is fighting with Burmese military is over 70 years. Since they got we got the independence, they are Burmese the military are not loyal to their commitment and they don't give because the, they don't give the what do we say Korean people want to rule their own pro own area like county and people they're going to set up by themselves but is that's a problem that they always because they want to take in everything in the 60s the military suspended democracy and inserted themselves as a military dictatorship 
they also decided to bring in a type of socialism that completely crushed the economy. Is, uh, for my childhood life, is we're very poor. And then myself, like I'm, um, I'm selling the food on the street since I'm around seven or eight until I'm 30, 12, 12, 13, until my mom left or uh, went to Malaysia. Even though she's a teacher, we have to sell the food for, for living like. By the 80s, you have a country where the ethnic majority are lording power over the minorities. Their policy of socialism is choking the economy. In 1987, they come out and declare certain currencies worthless, which effectively is wiping people's life savings to zero. People were unhappy and angry, and in 1988, protests and strikes spread like wildfire throughout the country. People from all walks of life are getting involved. Monks, children, students, housewives, workers, they all take to the streets. Momentum isn't slowed as the government throws thousands into prison and even murder protesters. People are tired of living in poverty. Myanmar is a country rich in natural resources. They should have been raking it in. Just look at what the UAE have done with all their oil money. The uprising rages for six months and violence on both sides escalates. Good luck trying to get reliable counts of the death toll. Some sources claim thousands of civilians were killed. Anecdotes of the government's outrageous response live on until today, one of which outlines how the military shot and killed doctors and nurses treating the wounded in the capital city's hospital. But what my experience is on 1988, the student protest, was I was only um, th in third class at that time, and it's not only very close to where we live. So, you know, we know we. I can see everything, like like a dead body and the people bringing stuff. It's just shooting, you know, because what I was because uh, my father was telling us that don't go out. But as a kid, we we heard the noise and then we ran out, and then I could see that they were shooting and people could run out with the full of blood, and then some people they brought in the dead body and so, like they shoot everyone, like they don't really care whatever they did, so they just all the protests like that. Before the year is out, the country is under martial law. In the years following, they host elections, but they're just for show. Nothing really happens. They stay in power until 2011, and then Myanmar gets a taste for democracy. It lasted just a decade, but still, it's a taste. It's improved, uh, is like uh, education system is improved, and then some they got the like uh, for the medical care is improved a little bit. So if the democracy is win and then continue on, Burma will be improving, kind of go up step by step. Now we have history repeating itself. In 2021, the military hoisted out the government and inserted themselves as a dictatorship once again. This isn't what the majority of the citizens want, but any critics are dealt with harshly. The government have stepped it up since 1988 as well. They're not just killing protesters on the streets. Now they're using air attacks and bombing their own citizens. They're targeting villages that are rejecting their rule. No surprises, these are in ethnic minority areas. Once again, protesting is completely forbidden. For government employees like teachers and doctors, if you speak out and you're not killed or jailed, your career will be destroyed. This lady has cousins currently in this position. 
Now is because of the whoever they work for government, they're trying to track you where you are or what you're doing like that. Especially now is uh, medical medical staff. I have three cousins as a doc their doctor, and they're hiding on the are uh, because they are doing the CDM. They they're doing the protest, and they took their license, and they are not allowed to walk anywhere. They got involved in protests, and then that's why they have a. Uh, they kind of they were try to arrest them so they're at the moment they're hiding and then because they couldn't get them so they they block their they they have cancelled their license so that they're not allowed to go out the country or they're not allowed to walk anywhere it makes sense that people are trying to find a better life in thailand i spoke to my neighbor who works for a karen education program these are schools that aren't run by the military in the eyes of the government, this makes them anti-government schools. He and his family moved to Thailand in the last year. He told me about his plans for their new life here. What, what are your hopes now for your life in Thailand? So far, I, I, I have, how to say, no, no, big, no big hope like that. So we compare staying in Myanmar, we feel free and safe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is fast. Uh, and then later, I think how my, my children can try other, you know, education program. Uh, I, yeah, well, they can get, you know, uh, a proper education in here. I, I just, just, my hope is uh, only for them uh, to get uh, the better education, but then is our hope, yeah. Moving to Thailand for better education is a common theme that came up when talking to people about why they crossed the border. Why would people not want to send their children to military school? Uh, I think you already hear most of the uh, teachers, regular teachings in the government school are uh, involved in the uh, civil disobedience movements. And then uh, the, the rest teacher are generally we, we can say they, they follow the uh, military government rules so uh, we, we don't want to keep them there. I'm going to throw out some figures that might explain why people are moving for a better education for their children. In 2021 more than 125,000 teachers were suspended for opposing the military coup. That's nearly the population of County Waterford being suspended from teaching. In the first 18 months of the military's rule, 24 teachers were killed. They were either tortured to death or shot during street protests. That same time period, over 200 teachers had been arrested. Myanmar was already short on teachers, so now they have an absolute drought of educators. The feelings of distrust of those who are still teaching under the military's rule is rife throughout the country. This year, there was an 80% decrease in students taking Myanmar's equivalent of the Leaving Cert. Many of these absent students didn't want to attend and support the schools that are under the military's rule. Instead, students are attending alternative schools, such as schools run by the Karen education program that this guy works for. The military aren't taking kindly to this rejection of their schools, so they retaliate. They more depend on the airstrike. So last month in our Karen, uh, Karen district, I've had an airstrike and our school community members and Hicks to Chai uh, and then other, other school children die. 
school children are being killed by bombs dropped by the government. Other, other, other ethnic area also yeah. Yeah, suffering like that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, airstrikes totally unfair, you know, yeah. because they have flight, they have, uh, you know, weapon to, to shoot down from the air. The resistance would do not have nothing. Calling it unfair is one way of putting it, and calling it a war crime is another. The Myanmar government has a rake of technology that they're using to control the population. The UN thinks they've imported at least a billion dollars worth of arms and equipment since their coup. China, Russia, Thailand, India and Singapore were named in the report as providing a wealth of materials such as machine guns, bombs, drones, jets, helicopters. Myanmar says they're using it against terrorists. UN reports show that they're using it on schools, places of worship, hospitals. One guy I spoke to had seen for himself this equipment in action. Uh, I know like last year I, was, I lived in uh, current, I stayed in current state and like volunteering and teaching one, two years there. Yeah. And then uh, I know very well like kind of like jet, jet plane came, flew over uh, village and people have to leave. They can live, but kind of like with fears. Okay, so when you were living there yeah. last year, you could see the jets flying over you. Yeah, kind of drone, kind of spy drone. Oh my god! So they were watching you. Yeah, watching, but they they didn't bombard. But they just like kind of spying on, like because our that village. Yeah. Uh, Time Burma border on Time Bomb and then near we Korean army like in a camp, so they come and spy la. Oh my god, I didn't realize that. I sound so surprised as if we're not talking about one of the world's most oppressive regimes, but like spying on a school is surprising. And when you saw the jets above, were you like frightened that they could drop a bomb? Yeah, but sometimes they flew kind of little. Uh, one of the time, like very low, so very noisy, and the whole village, like people flee to, uh, like near the river, and okay. then some flee to Thailand, who they have relative. Yeah. And then, uh, for for us, like kind of, we we are not really scared because we can really go fast to the forest and then like so we are not girls so like it's not less worried about it but we worry that our school yeah. like like 100 of students studying so if something happened it should be very uh, problematic for the student and their parent back home because they are they came and live in dormitory so mm. far away from their parent mm. and you if they drop something, it will be very problem for the, the whole village. On this occasion, the military didn't drop any bombs, but that's not always the case. We don't, we don't have home anymore. Like, we moved for like six or seven years. So, yeah. like, and then we moved to, to my father's village. After that, when we moved now, we can go by like, the war in like, Korean, Korean state, mm-hmm. my father's village. Mm-hmm. The Kareni state is often the target of these airstrikes. We can go back because now, now, like after military coup, my father village, like kind of like we can, people can live there. Okay. Had to like, had to flee because of bombard of military. Okay. Gente. 
So, when did you arrive in Thailand? For education purpose, I, I moved to Thailand since 2015. Moving to Thailand for the migrant schools has paid off for this guy. He was accepted into a Karen program for high achieving students and will hopefully be getting a high school diploma equivalent next year. What are your hopes for the future? Uh, I still wanted to uh, go for like university mm-hmm. because I feel like one day my people need me a lot because we have like uh, young people, energetic people to serve uh, our like community because our community needs us a lot for the future of the young people and children mm-hmm. so do you think that you'll live in Myanmar in the future yes uh, definitely because uh, if I go to other country it should be good for only for me and a few people of my family but if I live in Myanmar and stay there and help my people there because I'm a local and I know more about anyone else so mm-hmm. I can I will be beneficial for them a lot. That's very selfless though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't know how long we I live something like that. So. This is an attitude that cropped up a lot when I was talking to current people. This duty not to forget about the struggle at home. I met one woman who had been born in a refugee camp and managed to make it out. The resettlement program had worked for her and her family. Her and her sister had come back to Maysot for a visit while I was here. They gave a talk at the local Koran school for high achieving students to let them know that leaving was possible, but even if they do resettle abroad, they should never forget about their people. And did your whole family get to move together? Yeah, um, it was mum and dad and my five siblings back then, yeah, because I've got one youngest brother born in Australia. She told me about when she had visited Myanmar before the 2021 coup. She'd been training as a nurse abroad and wanted to go back for experience in a hospital. She explained to me that she was surprised by what she saw in the ethnic minority hospital. They don't really have any equipment, so they will reuse the range. And then um, even how with if you take some bloods or you know you would use gloves but they don't have that either mm-hmm. see so you just wish to have basic sickness but if you have complicated then you're a bit hopeless remember this is before the coup and the reignition of the civil war since then the military junta has been exposed for targeting medical facilities and personnel in bombings, raids and sometimes just burning down buildings. Sky News broke this by living undercover in the Karen, Kareni and Shan states, all areas of ethnic minorities. Even though I'm talking about minorities, there are more people living in these three states alone than in the Republic of Ireland. This doesn't even take into account areas such as the Rohingya state, which are pretty difficult for reporters to get into, and where out-and-out genocide has been occurring at the hands of the government. The scale of the suffering that's going on is really what I'm struggling to wrap my head around. In terms of landmass, this is the biggest country in Southeast Asia. Like, we're talking about a lot of people being affected by this. What brought you back to Thailand? Why did you come back? 
So actually, um, the first time ever was after year 12, when I came back with my sister, my older sister. And then um, since then, I always wanted to come back because I've seen like my people, like Korean people still living in the jungle and also in the village. Back in the days, I was able to visit for a bit. But now I think we're not allowed to, not allowed, it's not that, it's not safe to go back to Burma at the moment. Why would it not be safe to go back right now? Because of the military, um, mm. it's a bit risky. Because I heard from my friend, which he's still living in Burma, around Burma, mm -hmm. and they have to like travel with cautious mm -hmm. from village to village because the military or whoever, they can just like arrest you for any reason and then if they want to torture you or shoot you, then they can do whatever they want. Like have any of your friends been oh, affected yeah. by the Burmese? Yep. Yeah, they do. Um, I actually got a friend. Um, that we just came back together. Her husband, cousin and uncle, yeah. They, they were actually in the village and we actually um, drove past on, over the weekend. We drove past and then they were like, oh yeah, this is the house that, um, that airstruck um, the cousin and the uncle and they actually passed away, yeah, died. Okay. On the scene, yeah. Oh my God. That's my friend's um, husband. And relative, yeah. When was that? Do you know, was it recent or was it? It's recent? recent. Yeah. It's very recent. It's probably, I just heard it like months ago. Yeah. Before this girl and her family managed to move away, they experienced firsthand some of the conflict. She shared with me a story from her childhood of when the fighting spilled over the border and reached them in Thailand. There's actually so many times that we, our house got burnt. Up until this, I had naively thought of Thailand as like a safe haven, you know, no fighting, kind of once you cross the border. But of course, that's not the case. Paramilitaries cross over and can continue to target people in refugee areas. I think my dad had to carry us through the rice field while it was like burning. Yeah, this fire. I actually have a photo of when our house was burnt out and we just, yeah, stand there to take a picture. I've seen the picture. It's of her as a tiny, tiny child, her siblings, her parents, standing on this blackened piece of ground that used to be where their home was. So every night you would get scared. It's like out of nowhere. For some, nighttime continues to be a frightening period. This girl has relatives in Myanmar and she told me a little bit about what they're facing. Mom would talk to them when they have connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they actually like would try and hide in the at night time. They would like dig a hole and then hide it in the at night time, but mm -hmm. daytime they would yeah. Are they living in a village or are they living in a jungle? Do they have like houses in the jungle what's the living situation so pretty much when the airstruck was like a bit intense mm -hmm. they would live in the jungle but now it's a bit i don't know i don't want to jinx it but it's a bit quieter so they would come back to the village and okay. yeah okay so the village was but unsafe. yeah it's still like worry every day yeah it's not always possible to get information from family members in myanmar the government sometimes cuts off internet connection in regions that are causing trouble. 
A lot of people living in the country are relying on relatives abroad to send them money because earning a living is next to impossible for some. But sometimes even this is more difficult than you'd expect. They actually cut off everything pretty much. And you can't, yeah. And I heard from my friend, like, they couldn't get money from the family. Even if they got sent to support them, they couldn't. Just the military, I'm not sure who, we just end up having the money. Because they took over everything pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of corruption. Yeah. And do you plan to come back here? Or are you going to stay in Australia? What do you think? Like, pretty much all of current people, no offence to Australia, like, we love it because there's freedom and stuff, but we still hope that, you know, we still get our country and then live in within, like, current community. And if that happened one day, then, yeah, we would love to come back and teach, like, you know, the, the other people, current people. Um, but if that doesn't happen or like near future then it would just have to be in my you know future generation yeah but yeah. we always hope that oh if one day if we can come back then whatever we learned from australia then we would just come back and help yeah even like six months or you know whatever suits yeah for a lot of the crown refugees this is what they're aspiring to They want to move out, get a good education and then come back to help their community and their country. Let's go back to the girl from the start of the episode who had been born in the refugee camp. She's also attending the school for high achieving students. Are your family waiting to be moved to a different country? Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, But now we we cannot see our future, but we just have that... um, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, he planned for refugee to resettlement program. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because for us, we cannot do anything. So just waiting, waiting. For me, it's since I, I was born and then since I, I know everything and then until now, just waiting for that resettlement program. How old are you? Um, 20. 20 years. Yeah. The resettlement programs have the ability not only to lift one person out of poverty, but to lift out families and communities. What are your hopes for the future? For me, I would like to be a tourist guide and I want to travel around the world because I want to know more situation about the war and I want to improve my country as well because now my country is underdeveloped, so uh, when I look back my community, especially my cramped people, um, they cannot uh, study like me, they cannot stay in safety like me. So I would like to uh, share back my education experience and knowledge that I have. Mm. What do you think is the future of the country? I think, uh, and I also hope that we can find a a good solution from those kids because because of the military cope the whole country so uh, most of the young young people they cannot study they lose their hope they lose their dream like that so if they can solve this problem and then if there is no more no more military cope like that and then no more violence like that, I think our country will be very 
beautiful, bright, and yeah, yeah. very yeah. peaceful. Peaceful. Because it's hard to run a school when you're running for shelter from airstrikes. It's hard to run an intensive care unit from a jungle. It's hard to entice tourists to visit a civil war zone. Things right now in Myanmar are hard. The night before I left, my new friends threw me a farewell party. There were songs, dancing, comedy sketches. <laughs> Fashion shows. <laughs> and just generally fantastic company. After the guts of a month in Maysot, in mini Myanmar, it was time for me to go back to Khao San Road. As I headed for my bus back to Bangkok, I watched the trucks driving from Myanmar delivering their trade to Thailand. Each truck had one door wide open to signal to authorities, don't worry, we're just carrying diesel or gas or corn or fish or textiles or construction materials. Don't worry, we're not taking people out of the civil war. This was an independent podcast written, researched and produced by myself. Thank you to everyone I met during my time in Maysot who showed me such warmth and kindness during my time there. Particular thanks to those who shared their stories with me. I've linked some resources in the description if you'd like to donate to projects or learn a little bit more about the political situation in Myanmar. Whether you're Burmese, Kachin, Kaya, Karen, Chin, Mon, Rakhine, Shan, Rohingya, an immigrant or emigrant, I'm sending love and peace to the people of Myanmar and you, the listener. Thanks for joining. <laughs>